0: this morning and I want to say thank you Amy and Ellen and JJ our music team I just really appreciate the talent that God's blessed you all with and how you use that to enhance our singing brother Mark thank you for leading us and singing these wonderful hymns of praise to the Lord I tell you worship would be uh, certainly lacking without the, the the singing of God's people I love to hear your voices you know not not uh, not uh, um, covered up by some piped-in music or or loud band. I like to hear God's people singing these powerful songs, and I can hear the voices of fellow believers behind me as I sing uh, on Sunday morning. That's a wonderful thing. If you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, tune in, tune in, so like television. Turn to the Gospel. I guess if you use an electronic Bible, you'd be tuning in, but the Gospel of of, uh, Luke Chapter 12. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for some time in a series that I've entitled "Follow Me," and that's the that's the crux of the call of Christ to all who would choose to believe is to follow the Lord as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 12, and we'll pick up somewhere around verse 13. You know, several years ago, I went to a real evangelism conference and. And, uh, and it was hosted by Dr. Uh, Bailey Smith, who's a Southern Baptist evangelist, and, and we always love to hear him. Uh, he was from Arkansas, and and, uh, and he just had a way of bringing forth the good news of the gospel in a powerful way, but I'll never forget. He was telling the story about this young, successful businessman who had bought his dream car. It was a brand new sports version of a Mercedes-Benz, and he was so looking forward to getting his hands on that. And he did. And 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 seeing the commercials of them driving those Mercedes through the mountains with that air blowing through that hair, you know, and hugging the curves and all. So he was bound to determine he was going to emulate that himself with his new Mercedes. And so he's streaking around those mountain curves, you know, just here's tires squalling, he's hugging the curves and and you know, and and, and pushing the speed as much as he can. And and just having a great time until he underestimated one of the curves ahead of him. It was a little tighter than he thought. And, and sure enough, he lost control of that car and it careened over the guardrail and started flipping over and over, going down the sharp bank of that cliff. He was thrown out of the car. And the car exploded down at the bottom like a James Bond movie. And he uh, managed to begin to crawl back up the bank and, and up to the road, and he pulled himself over the guardrail. He's all torn and bleeding, and, and, and he's standing there looking over the guardrail down at the, the demolished wreck of his car, and he's screaming and crying, my Mercedes, my Mercedes. And about that time, a state trooper comes along and sees him. And uh, pulls over and sees the situation, and he hears him screaming, You know, my Mercedes, my Mercedes. And he says, Mister, are you crazy? Says, Your left arm has been torn completely off of your body, and you're standing there yelling about your Mercedes. And the guy looks over and he says, My Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> so, that's not a true story. I don't think it is. But anyway, it helps illustrate the point we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> it deals with. You know, the the topic, Jesus in the text this morning issues a very somber warning to those who are blindly walking in sin and under the seductive spell of greed, covetousness, hedonism. This is something that plagued people then and the sin that continues to plague people today. And so as we begin First of all, I want us to see a tragic what I call a tragic case of misidentity and and you know here is is probably one of the worst cases of of mistaken identity in the Bible, and so we'll see it as we begin to look in verse thirteen but before we do, I think it warrants a a, a time of a review uh because to appreciate this man that, that we'll see featured beginning in verse 13, to see the nature of his mistaken identity of Christ, we've got to consider all that has transpired up to this moment of this dialogue. You've got to consider the, the thorough exposure that he has already had to Jesus, to the Son of God. Going all the way back into chapter 12 at the beginning in verse 1. You know, it's, it's, it's so sad to consider. As Tim was uh, sharing with us about the, uh, the the people group that we're praying for today. And, and, and he's been introducing us in our kingdom prayer concerns to people groups in Asia and sub-Sahara uh, Africa and other parts of the world. Millions of people millions of people who have never had any exposure to jesus christ no exposure to the good news of the gospel something that you and i take for granted all the time the man that we're going to be focusing on in our text today has had ample exposure to christ let me just walk you back through some some salient points there in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. In, in verses 1 through 3, he's heard the, 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 the stern condemnation that Jesus has given to the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. He's heard Jesus take on the religious leaders of that day and accuse them of exercising a hideous form of, of, of hypocrisy. In verses 4 through 7, as a part of the swirling mob around Jesus, he's heard the Lord teach about the fearsome judgment of Almighty God that 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 uh, results in people's souls being cast into hell for eternity and he's also heard how Jesus describes the father's gracious provision for his faithful people and in verses 8 through 12 along with the rest of the multitude this man has been exposed to hearing Jesus clearly reveal that he himself is the son of God the promised Messiah and has given evidence for that and to go on and to describe the eternal damnation that awaits those who would dare to blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God Jesus this man has been exposed to the teachings of Christ on these very subjects here also this man this unnamed character like others back in chapter 11 had the privilege of witnessing Jesus casting out demons out of people and giving people back their lives. And, and, and he, he heard Jesus back in chapter 11 there issue six scathing woes of judgment. Upon the religious leaders of that day all of this this man has had opportunity he it's not like he just walked upon Jesus for some time as a part of this great multitude that that Luke said there in chapter 12 there were so many people gathered around Jesus that they were actually stepping on one another and this man has been in the midst of it he's been in the mix he's seen he's heard he's been exposed to the very Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the promised Messiah. And yet we see this man's, despite his thorough exposure to the Messiah, we see this man's ignorant disclosure. Look at verse 13 with me. Then one from the crowd, doesn't give his name, said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, Jesus has been taking on the Pharisees. He's been casting out demons. He's been preaching on the kingdom of God, the the judgment of God. He's been been taking on all these major spiritual matters, virtually doing spiritual warfare right there before the people. And this man injects, would you, teacher, would you just tell my brother to divide up our inheritance? Let's settle this state. I remember when Jan and I were working with the youth and and this is a long time ago, but I remember one night in, in the youth group lesson, you know, somehow just wanted to impress upon the young people, the, you know, the the fragile nature of our lives on this earth and how unpredictable things are. And So I, I was, I was just casting out before them, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 a scenario that, uh, was, uh, Hypothetical. I said, just imagine we're sitting here, and all of a sudden the radios begin to blare, people's phones, whatever, and and the word. And this is back during the, the Cold War, was raging between the United States and Soviet Union. Um, and Soviet Union, of course, was still intact. I said, just just imagine we we got a news report that the Soviet Union has launched a barrage of intercontinental ballistic missiles, each carrying a large nuclear payload. And they are headed to the east coast of the United States of America. And for all practical purposes, we know we have minutes to live before impact of those those gigantic nuclear ballistical miss- missiles and the room began to kind of hush I think they were starting to grasp what if you only had minutes in your life one dear sweet little girl she was in high school she just blurted out she says Charlie where is the East Coast Well, needless to say, the rest of the group just burst out laughing and they, you know, I, I realized I was not going to capture the, the moment of teaching that I wanted after that. But uh, but anyway, just imagine Christ pouring his heart out and dealing with the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, trying to impress upon the people the the nature of his call and his mission in the world, who he was. And and here's this man with his disjointed request that is totally inappropriate and spiritually ignorant. When he has the nerve to say, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's kind of like that young lady saying, where's the East Coast? I know Jesus is that. First of all, after all that he's been exposed to in the presence of the Son of God, he has audacity to address Jesus as teacher now I'm not making light of the wonderful and 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 God-given and I know important vital role that teachers carry and play Jessica we appreciate love our teachers but to simply use a term that in the language of that day they used to describe the average run-of-the-mill Jewish rabbi in referring to the the incarnate Son of God the Messiah of mankind was like a, a virtual slap in the face he didn't know who he was talking to it's like people today it makes my skin crawl when I hear somebody refer to God as oh you know the man upstairs And I'm thinking yikes that in and of itself is a a true giveaway of the fact that they, number one, they don't have a clue who Jesus is. Number one, he's not a man, not just a man. And number two, he's not upstairs. He's at the right hand of God the Father. And so for this man to, to, to turn to Jesus now wasn't unusual in that culture for a Pharisee to arbitrate in family settlements or civil settlements or matters like that. But that's not Jesus's mission that's not why he was sent into the world by the father that's not why he was here and so Jesus made it clear in verse 14 he said Jesus said to him man or as we would say in our culture today our mister who made me a judge of uh, or an arbitrator over you What gives you the idea that I came into the world to settle petty disputes like this? My mission has nothing to do with this. Jesus didn't come into the world to settle simple, small money disputes. He came into the world to reveal God's divine plan of redemption to save the souls of people eternally from the fires of hell. And so there was a terrible case of mistaken identity going on right here. This man had no idea and Jesus wanted to set him straight and make sure that the rest of the crowd, the multitude understood as well. So as we see this mistaken identity as we as we prepare to move forward in the rest of the text, I just thought it was I just felt the le- the Lord leading me to take just a few moments and and since we're going to be dealing with the matters of greed and and covetousness and materialism you know we need to understand as god's people how does god view money and wealth those types of things you know the as as we look there at verse 15 it says and jesus said to them take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses you see jesus is omniscient He sees right into the heart of this man. He knows the motivation that's causing him to make this impromptu, disjointed request that has nothing to do with what the Lord is dealing with in their midst at that time. He knows that at the heart of this man is nothing but pure greed and covetousness. Dr. John MacArthur, in his commentary on the text, describes how a person's view of money and wealth is an accurate barometer Of that person's character and spiritual state. A person's view of money and wealth is like a barometer of that person's spiritual state and their character and you know that's so true. You just you just hang around a person long enough and watch how they handle their money and talk about things and and speak about having money and getting money and 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 listen for the priorities, and you certainly will begin to see that and that's true. Consider two classic cases as we think about god's perspective on money and wealth. Consider two classic cases in the in the New Testament that we're given first there's zacchaeus we'll we'll catch up to zacchaeus in in chapter nineteen of the Gospel of Luke, but you know the story of this this uh vertically challenged man that uh He heard Jesus was coming to town and he made a determination he wanted to go and see Jesus, but he was a little shorter than the rest of the crowd. He couldn't, so he climbed up in the sycamore tree. How many of us as kids are saying stories, that song about Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree, right? Yeah. Well, you know, he may have been short in stature, but he was big on faith when he encountered Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, once a greedy and dishonest tax collector, encountered the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, and he was radically, and I emphasize, radically transformed. The man that went climbing up that sycamore tree was not the same man that came climbing down that sycamore tree because he met Jesus. Not just eyeball to eyeball, but soul to soul. And in that encounter, Zacchaeus became a wonderfully transformed saved born again believer Jesus Christ how do we know that well just read the text there in, in Luke chapter 19 if you got your Bibles you're going to turn over there you can just listen to me listen to Zacchaeus now this is this greedy selfish dishonest tax collector that nobody liked and after Jesus had told him Zacchaeus I'm going to your house today <laughs> Zacchaeus in verse 8 of chapter 19 of Luke Luke 19 verse 8 then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord look Lord I give half of my goods to the poor and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation I restore fourfold and Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Let me tell you something, Zacchaeus got his whole uh, perspective on money and wealth and material possessions totally rearranged in just a matter of minutes because Jesus took over his life. Jesus gave him a new perspective, but then there was another encounter and, uh, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 19 you remember a young rich ruler came to Jesus and very kind of you know puffed up and proud basically saying uh, teacher you know I'd like to know how I can uh, be sure that I have eternal life and Jesus says and he says well what I what would I need to do and Jesus will we'll keep the commandments." and that's true be obedient to God and this man, as if he's, you know, so self-assured that he's got everything in order, he says, well, which ones? And Jesus went through different commandments and told him, do this, do this. And, and the man was like a checklist. Going, yes, yes, this young ruler. Yeah, I got it. I've got them, Lord. I'm paraphrasing. And he said, what else? Is there anything else? And, the, and Jesus knowing his heart, as he knows your heart, as he knows my heart. He said, oh, there's one more thing. I want you to sell all that you own. Give it to the poor. And then for the rest of your life, follow me. And the man's domino structure of of pride and ego began to fall, crumble down. He left. He walked away. He walked away from the Son of God. He walked away from eternal life. He was walking towards the eternal burning fires of hell for eternity. And it says, and he was very sad. You see the contrast between Zacchaeus who encountered the son of God and this rich young ruler, it was all their perspective on money and wealth. And so, you know, it's important for God's people to understand. We have to beware. Of this trap of covetousness and beware of the trap of greed. Well, when we talk about God's perspective on money, yeah, folks, let's put, make the record straight, set the record straight. God's not opposed to money or wealth. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. It says, It is God who gives you power to get wealth. The only reason people gain, gain wealth is because God allows it. Nobody gets rich without God allowing them to get rich that doesn't mean all Christians godly people will be rich but the fact is God is the one that allows anyone to get rich but you know there are record recorded accounts in the scriptures where God has blessed some of his faithful servants with quite a bit of wealth Abraham we know was a wealthy man by the standards of that day so was Isaac and so was Jacob Boaz, the husband of Ruth, we know was a prominent businessman. He was quite wealthy. King Solomon was touted as the richest man in the world at that time. He had more riches than he knew what to do with. God had blessed him, not just with wisdom, but with wealth. And in the New Testament, we know that uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. And and he, uh, out of the kindness of his heart, took care of funding the burial of the Son of God. So, So God's not against people getting well in, in deuteronomy chapter 15 in verses 4 through 6 the lord promised the israelites as they were going towards their promised land to settle in as his people he promised them he says listen i will bless you if god says i'm going to bless you folks god's going to bless you and he was basically saying i'm going to take care of your needs and you won't have to worry about your food and your shelter and 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 the things that you'll need. He says because when you get into the promised land, I am going to bless you if you heed my voice, if you keep my commandments, if you obey my commandments. In other words, you live as you should live as my people as as a, as my people under the covenant that I will establish with you and I will provide for you. In other words, God tells us if we live our lives obedient to His Word, submissive to His Holy Spirit, we make Jesus Christ the priority of our lives, God's going to bless you. Now, please, hear me carefully. This is not a guarantee that if you're a good Christian, you're going to be rich. Because then I sound like the prosperity gospel people, and that's just not the way it works, folks. But I can tell you this as a principle, I know for a fact. That if you are faithful to the Lord, God will be faithful to you and he will take care of you. It's a principle, a general principle of the generous nature of our God. However, our Lord lovingly warns us of the pitfalls of greed and materialism. He doesn't let us walk into this blindly. No such thing as a Christian falling into the trap of greed and covetousness and materialism and say, oh, I didn't know that listen in first Timothy chapter 6 verse verse 10 Paul said to Timothy the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil now you'll notice he didn't say money is evil he said the love of money the, the insatiable desire to have and have more and, and get more and never be satisfied you know I've heard people say that have known very wealthy people they said you know they're, they're never They never reach a point where they're satisfied. They can have millions of dollars. They can have billions of dollars. And and, and still feel like they need more. (laughs) That's the nature of the the sin. Ecclesiastes 5.10, the writer wisely said, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is all vanity. You think you'll be happy if you win the lottery and you got suddenly a million dollars credited to your account minus the 900,000 the government takes out for taxes. But the fact is, you, you think, oh man, if I just not. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. There's danger in loving money. There's danger in loving material possessions. There's danger in being covetous by nature. The Bible gives a number of cases where greed resulted in tragedy, for many people, back in the book of Joshua chapter seven, you remember the name of the man Achan? God had told the people of Israel when you conquer Jericho, you do not take any other bounty, none of the, the spoils for yourself. Achan looked around, saw some very valuable jewels and things, he didn't see any of his friends or whatever, so he stashed it, ran back to his tent, dug a, dug a hole and buried it, covered it up and thought, Nobody ever know now. And you know what? None of the Israelites knew. Not even Joshua. God knew. God was watching that rascal. The minute he picked it up in his hands, God's shaking his head and said, "Mm." well, we know that Achan's mistake, his sin cost not only him his life, but it cost his whole family. Every relative he had was taken. They were all stoned to death as a part of God's judgment. We know in Numbers chapter 22, all the way through 31, that false prophet Balaam, the greed, the love of money caused him to try to prophesy against God's people. And it eventually cost him his life one day. In Judges chapter 6, we saw Delilah betray Samson. Why? Because of her love for money. And it cost thousands of people their lives. In Acts chapter 5, we saw Ananias and his wife Sapphira for the love of money lie to the Holy Spirit of God who was struck down right there in the midst of God's people that moment. It's a dangerous thing to fall into the trap of greed and covetousness. How is it possible that one of the followers of Jesus Christ, Judas Iscariot, because of his love for silver, would betray the very Son of God and end up casting himself his on, uh, on a, uh, hanging himself over a cliff and then falling and then being burst open. Listen, It's a dangerous thing. If you want to know what God has to say about greed and materialism and money and wealth, I haven't had to worry too much about that growing up on a tobacco farm and being a preacher. So, you know, God has a way of keeping us humble. But you know what? I'm rich. I'm rich. I've never gone without what I have needed. Never. As a child... As young adult as an adult but that's not I'm not rich in material things I'm rich in the Lord the fact that I belong as a child of God to the family of God I'm a joint heir with the Son of God I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ all the spiritual blessings of heaven all that belongs to the Son of God I will share in and so will you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ Our riches come when we step over into glory and everything we see is ours because our Father gives it to us freely. Well, we need to move along. Go back to our text. Pick up there in verse 15, if you will, because we see a sad case played out of misplaced priorities. And you see it played out, ladies and gentlemen, in families, members, in friends, in neighbors, co-workers. Oh, you see the same, sorry. Sorry story played over and over again. As he often did, the Lord seized upon the moment to teach a valuable lesson. And I love Jesus's parables. You know, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. And, and, and some of the parables were what you would call example parables. In other words, Jesus teach a parable and you know, you could take the parable of the Good Samaritan. And using the Samaritan, the good Samaritan as an example, he would say, now go and be like this good Samaritan. But then in some of the example parables, he would say, he would reveal something evil and wicked. He would say, don't you go that way. But they taught a powerful lesson. So Jesus is seasoned upon the moment that he has exposed this man's motive, which is greed and covetousness, to teach the rest of the multitude with his disciples sitting right there up under him virtually to teach a powerful parable that you all know none of this is new to you and in verse 15 he says to them take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses so before you run home and start pulling out all your bank accounts and your cds and 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 trying to figure out how wealthy you are and all the things that you have a title to. Listen, just realize that Jesus says that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. That's not what makes you rich in God's eyes. Then in verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Well, you know, that sounds good, but Jesus has already given us a stern warning there in verse 15 when he says, take heed, maybe in your translation he uses the verb beware, but it's used in the imperative form uh, of that verb. It's a verb that means to observe, to recognize, to, to be on the lookout for. So Jesus is warning, He's said, beware, watch out for greed and covetousness. And then he opens up the story beginning Telling about this man who was wealthy. Let's, let's read on. So pick up in verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And There I will store and my crops, I will store all my crops and my goods and I will say to my soul "Soul, You have made you, you have many goods and laid up laid up for many years. Take your ease eat drink and be merry God said to him you fool This night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have provided You know as we look there in verse 16 we see that the man is already blessed. It, 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 Jesus starts out. He didn't say this was a poor man who became rich. He just simply says that that there was a, a certain man in the ground of, of that certain rich man yielded plentifully. He was rich and getting richer by the moment. And Jesus wanted people to understand that. And then he, in verse 17, he goes on, and this man thought within himself Saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? I'm going to ask a very personal question, and some of you may be uneasy and embarrassed by this. Oh, yeah, people looking now. Do you ever talk to yourself? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. Now, I'm going to go ahead and confess to you that your pastor and pastor's wife regularly talk to ourselves. In fact, Janet stick her head in the room and say, Who are you talking to? I said, oh, I'm just praying. what? <laughs> no, <boy>, no. <laughs> I'll talk, you know, you ever get to talk to yourself, Charlie, that was stupid, why, you know, why did you do that, you know, oh, you need to remember to do this, and that. Yep, yeah, yeah, Jan would say, oh, I'm sorry, I was talking to myself, I said, well, that's okay with me, as long as y'all getting along, you know, <laughs> so this gentleman here, obviously, was one of those who, like myself, but talked to himself and he thought he thought within himself and then he said, you know, what shall I do since I, I have no room to store my, my crops? One commentator says, right, right question. But he came up with the wrong answer. The right question was, yeah, I'm, I'm so, so blessed. I got more than I can possibly use right now. It would have been great if at that point he would have said, you know what, I need to give all my surplus to the poor. I need to go and take this down to the synagogue or you know to the temple and let them translate it into you know giving it out to the to the poor as alms or whatever. Yeah, I could do that. I'll just go through my neighborhood and 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 and, and give away all the produce that I don't really have to have. Oh, that would have been so good, wouldn't it? But you see this man's spiritual blindness and his ignorance caused him to come up with the wrong answer. He could have really benefited from The teachings of the Apostle James. Let me just share an excerpt out of James chapter four, verse thirteen. And I think this speaks to me. I think it speaks to you. In James chapter four, verse thirteen, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such and 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 such and such city and spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what you what will happen tomorrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while. And then vanishes away verse 15 instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we shall live and do this and that but now you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it's sin this man could have benefited from the words of the Apostle James just to realize we make all these plans to to multiply you know, our surplus and to gain more possessions and to gain more, you know, and, and, and he, James said, listen, the thing you need to do is get before God and determine what God's will is and then say, if it is God's will, I will do that. Well, his spiritual ignorance, like so many people today who are living in materialistic and humanistic ways and hedonistic ways and focusing on themselves. His spiritual ignorance prevented him from seeing the gracious, providential hand of Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides what we need and when we need it. Isn't it amazing how no one acknowledges God when good things go on in their lives or in their community? You know, you don't hear a lot of people going around, you know, talking about, Oh, hallelujah, this wonderful weather we've had. Oh, we, the, the crops were so good this year. God is so good. You know, you don't see that on the news. But then you let one disastrous storm come through well, or some, some terrible natural disaster happen, and even the insurance companies jump in on it. It's an act of God. It's an act of God. We can blame God for the bad things, but you know, we're very slow in giving him credit and praise for the good things that happen in our lives personally or collectively as families, as communities. And so our main character was ready to give praise and glory, all right. Oh, he wasn't afraid to, to give praise and glory, but he was giving it to himself and not to the Lord. Notice how many times he uses the pronoun I. Six times. And my. Five times. In this short text here, let's just read through them. You pick up on them as... Verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store and all store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, So you have many good things laid up for many years. Eat your ease. I mean, uh, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Six times I, five times my, and God zero. And that's what greed and covetousness does. It takes the glory from God and it transfers it to us, to man. You know, he could have benefited from the words of the Apostle John. This is a passage that. It means a lot to me to keep things in perspective in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, when he says, This world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. You can drive through some of the most prosperous zones in town or communities in, in, in the state and see all the mass accumulations big gigantic skyscrapers and massive mansions and spreading you know farms and and all the possessions that people have and oh boy i'm sure many of them i'm not saying all of them but i'm sure that many of them lay down at night on the bed and said oh so you've done good you've earned three million dollars a day and didn't have to lift your hand you'll just keep on adding to you're going to be the you're going to be the most successful person in your industry. Oh, so eat, drink, and be merry. That's the philosophy of what we call the American dream. Going back to our text, here he is, all fat, sassy, and puffed up with pride, but more in his possession than he knows what to do with, except he got a wake-up call. Can you imagine what transpired in this man's mind? What occurred in his heart when an unmistakable divine voice says with absolute clarity and conviction, you fool. God said to him, you fool. It's one thing when a brother or sister calls you a fool or a neighbor or a friend or somebody calls you a fool, but friend, When God calls you a fool, you know trouble's coming. Listen to what God said. This night, you won't even have time to eat the surplus. You won't have time to drink the wine. You won't have time to march around in the community tomorrow and the next day and brag about all that you have because this night, this night that you're laying in your bed, breathing right now, your soul will be required of you. You're going to hell. Now people are listening. And I hope that man that instigated this whole thing by saying, teacher, could you help me to tell my brother to divide up everything? He's probably feeling like a weasel about this time. But you see, Jesus had already made the point back in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm closing. In the Sermon on the Mount, there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he had already made the point. They'd all missed it, obviously. But back in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also you know i drive through the countryside sometimes and see these big old beautiful mansion buildings of people that one day in their heyday Oh man, they had their big massive farms, and some of these people may have used slave help, but you know, generations ago to build up their wealth. Oh, they—I can just imagine those big Southern parties, like you see in the movie *Gone with the Wind*. You know, oh yeah, everybody's walking around sipping, you know, tulips or whatever. What do you call them? I don't know. But anyway, with their fancy clothes on, you know, and and, and that mansion was probably sparkling white. And all the furnishings and the flower gardens and, and the fountains and all, oh, but now I go by and it's overtaken with kudzu. Windows are knocked out, doors bashed in, you know, bats fly out of the chimney. And I mean, oh my goodness. They, whoever built that house probably thought, oh, it's gonna be this way forever. That's That was their treasure. There was their treasure. And look at it now. Oh, you think about all the things that God has blessed you with. And somehow we get this notion in our mind. I'm going to have this forever. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because one day, you're going to leave this world. And everything that you have a title to is not going with you. Somebody else, that's what the Lord says. He says, your your souls are part of you this very night. So he says, Who, who's going to get all these things? Then whose will all those things be which you have provided? So I'll close with this simple question. Where's your treasure? With the people that know you love you? If I were to ask them that question, How would they answer it? Where is your treasure? Will it last? On into eternity. Are you storing up your treasures in heaven? I hope so. I truly do. For you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious, a generous, faithful God. One of your mighty names, Jehovah Jireh, reminds us that our God will provide what we need and when we need it because you love provided for your people. Lord, I pray that every one of us will have as the priority of our life to store up treasures in heaven. Through serving you and worshiping you and leading others to Christ and and giving unselfishly of ourselves and our time and our possessions for the benefit of those who are in, in dire need, oh God, I pray that the treasures that we the, that we hold dearest in our heart are not things that can be measured in terms of dollars, but treasures that are there waiting on us in heaven with you that can never be. Destroy. Oh, Lord, I pray. Continue to speak to each of us through this, your word. And may your will be done. And we'll give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Mark, you will please come and close the service as you feel led.